The thing that um, has been catching my attention this morning is this psalm, um, which isn't spoken about much. Um, but this, this last stanza, I think is, it's an important one. It's, it's one we, we don't necessarily um, understand because we don't always, so the Bible, you know, like there's, there's references within the Bible of other parts to other parts of the Bible. So, so we might not actually understand uh, there's a reference here that we, we might not be able to connect, but I think once we hear it, maybe we'll, we'll be able to connect it. Um, so anyway, th- this last stanza, uh, the, the author, the psalmist is saying, Oh, that today you would hear his voice. Harden not your hearts as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the desert, where your fathers tempted me. They tested me, though they had seen my works. So, so he's saying, oh, that today you would hear his voice. You know, it's, it's like, he, he's, he's saying like, oh, if only you could hear this command come from him. You know, and this is, I think this is, this is true for all of us. You know, like we can, we can maybe pick up the Bible and we can read it uh, and we can, we can read the, the words of the gospel, especially, you know, like the words of Jesus in the gospel. Uh, or we can, we can hear about, you know, different teachings of our faith, of our church, you know, how, how we have, you know, like this is, this is what God teaches. Uh, and we can hear that and there can be something of a, you know, maybe a, a hesitancy to believe it because we don't hear God's voice. And, and, and how much easier would it be, maybe, if we heard God speak directly to us? If, you know, like, think about this. Like, I could, I could tell you what Jesus teaches, but, but you know, in my, my mind or my heart, it's like, oh, but if, if only you could hear his voice and not mine. You know, so that, because, because if you hear something directly from someone else, it's, it's like, okay, well, this person told me firsthand, and so of course I have to believe it. And that's, that's what the author is getting at. It's like, if uh, that today, oh, that today you would hear his voice. But as it is, you're not hearing his voice. And so let me tell you what he has to say. And this is what the Lord has to say. The psalmist is saying, harden not your hearts as at Meribah as in the day of Massa. So what, what's going on there? So Meribah and Massa, take, we, we learn about these places uh, further back in the Old Testament. So we know the story of Moses, right, about how God's people are, are enslaved in Egypt and they're being treated terribly by the Pharaoh. And so God comes to Moses in the burning bush and God says to Moses, Moses, I need you to go to Pharaoh to deliver a message to him from me. Right. So there's this sort of like kind of triangle type thing going on where Moses is like the middleman. Right. Uh, And of course, Moses goes to Pharaoh and and he says, Pharaoh, the God of our ancestors, the Lord God of the universe has this message that that he sent me to deliver to you. And that is that you need to you need to let my people go to offer sacrifice to me. And Pharaoh He's like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to let you do that. Right. We know, we know how this plays out that, that Pharaoh, he hears the message from Moses, the servant of God, uh, and he doesn't believe God's message. He's faithless. He's hard of heart. Right. So it doesn't matter how much Moses delivers to him the commands of God because his heart is so hardened that he just, he doesn't believe it. And so he acts in faithlessness rather than in faithfulness. And, and what happens, of course, is, is that the ten plagues come, which itself is meant to actually be for us a reminder that God does punish those who refuse to listen to him. God does deliver punishment. Uh, but, but nonetheless, the ten plagues happen, and then finally the last plague is the worst one. Uh, and, and Pharaoh finally says to Moses, like, okay, you guys just get out of here, right? We're, we're sick of these plagues. We're sick of these punishments. So you got to go. So then uh, we know the story, how Moses leads the people across, you know, the, the, 
to, to, the, to the Red Sea, uh, the sea splits in two, and they walk across on dry land. And just as they get across, uh, the Egyptians, who are now pursuing them to overtake them, to bring them back to slavery, uh, the, the sea crashes down upon them and drowns them in, in the river or the, the lake or the sea, whatever. Everyone, and everyone goes home happy, except for the Egyptians. They, they don't go home happy. Uh, but anyway, so like we, we know this, right? And so then Exodus chapter 15. So if you go home and read Exodus chapter 15, it's the, the whole chapter is just this, this great big song of jubilation, this great big song of victory. Like our God came through for us. Horse and chariot he cast into the sea. This incredible, like, and we're, we're going to dance and we're going to be glad and we're going to sing for joy because our God is faithful. He's so good. And we can't imagine ever forgetting about his goodness. And then in Exodus chapter 16, they start to complain. So just think about that for a minute. Right? God did this incredible, miraculous thing. Like he, like he did something that's impossible. He, he split the sea in two so that they could walk across, and then he drowned all of their enemies so that they could know his, his care for them, the way that he provides for them. And then within a few days, they're complaining because they don't have any food. They don't have anything to drink. So they're just complaining and they, they go to Moses and they're like, Moses, what the heck? Like, you brought us out here to die of starvation, to die of thirst. Can't we go back to Egypt? Because even though we were enslaved, at least we had food and water to drink there. Right? This, this preposterous thing. They saw God provide for them in incredibly unexpected, miraculous ways. And yet here they are just a few days afterwards having hard hearts. Faithless, forgetting about God's goodness, complaining and grumbling. And so then Moses has to take their complaints and he has to kind of go to the Lord and just like, Lord, I don't know what I'm supposed to do right now. These are your people, Lord. Like you take care of them. You do something with them. So then, of course, the Lord provides. And this was where like manna comes into play, the, the, the flaky bread like stuff that they wake up every morning and they collect their manna. And then they, you know, they make banana bread and they make uh, <laughs> manicotti, right? Like they're making all their, I didn't make that joke up. I, I stole it from someone else. It's fine. Um, anyway, so like this is where this all comes into play, right? So like the Lord, he's, he's kind of willing to work with them. But at the same time, there's this sort of lingering question of like, yeah, but how would he have come through for them if they didn't complain? You know, like, what, what was his plan that he was, because, because he's already proven time and time again through the plagues, through walking through the sea. I mean, even beginning with the burning book, like he's proven that he sees his people, that he cares about them and that he has a plan to care for them. And so you just kind of wonder, like, if the people had remained faithful rather than faithless, if the people hadn't become stubborn and hard of heart, what miraculous thing would, would the Lord have done for them? As it is, we don't know. Because they were hard in their heart, and so they got this, this flaky bread-like stuff, which is miraculous enough, right? But nonetheless, like, so this, this is what the Lord is talking about when it says, harden not your hearts as at Meribah and Massah. In other words, don't be faithless, but instead be faithful. Don't let your hearts stray into this place of grumbling and complaining against me. But instead, recognize that I see you. I have a plan to care for you, and I'm going to care for you, the Lord is saying. This is, and this is something I think that, that Paul really sees. He sees it so clearly. Uh, so, so we're going to be hearing for the next uh, maybe four weeks, including today, from the second letter of St. Paul to Timothy, which is my favorite letter of Paul to, uh, that, that, that St. Paul writes, because it's just very practical. 
At the same time, it's very challenging because it's so practical. But, but this thing that, that Paul is, is getting at with Timothy, right? So what does he say? I remind you to stir into flame the gift of God that you have through the imposition of my hands. So, so uh, Timothy, he had the faith passed down to him from his grandmother, from his mother, and now to him. And Paul has kind of adopted him in a spiritual way as a spiritual father. And, and, and Timothy has this great faith, and Paul lays hands on him, ordains him the leader of the church at Ephesus. And now Paul is writing. He knows, he sees all kinds of people around him uh, that have started really strong in the faith and have faded away, similar to the Israelites after passing through the Red Sea, really strong in their belief and their faith in God, but then slowly or maybe all at once just fade away into faithlessness. And so Paul sees this, and so he's warning Timothy, stir into flame the gift of God that you have. In other words, don't let your love for God grow cold. Keep the fire stoked so that, so that what happens? When trial and temptation come your way, you can remain firm and rooted, not in a spirit of complaints, but in a spirit of knowledge that God is good and that he's going to take care of you. Because he says what? For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, but rather of power and love and self-control. So do not be ashamed of your testimony to our Lord, nor of me, a prisoner for his sake, Paul is saying, right? I'm in prison for my love because of my love for Jesus. And as a prisoner, as one who's suffering immensely because of my love for Jesus, my ministry to Jesus, I'm telling you, Timothy, what? Bear your share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God. What Paul is saying is that, look, because you follow Jesus, you're going to encounter suffering in your life. And so I'm telling you now, bear your share of hardship. When your hardship comes, when your trial comes, bear it with the strength of God. Fan into flame that love that he gave you so that your love doesn't grow cold, so you don't drift into the spirit of complaints and grumbling. That's what he's getting at. And later on, so our, our reading kind of, it, it jumps a little bit or skips a little bit, but Paul later on talks about this. He talks about how, he's like, you know the power of God, about how, how he sent Jesus to abolish death and to lead you into immortality, he's saying, right? Remember this, that you were made to be immortal, that, that your life is not, it's not just meant to be a life that you live for 70 or 80 years or 90 or whatever, and then you die, but that your life is meant to be a life that's, that's, that becomes like connected with God's life, which is to last forever, that you are made to be immortal. He says, remember this. This is what God has done in the person of Jesus. Which for us, we can, we can sort of hear this and we can think, man, we thought the miracle at the Red Sea was something. Now God does something even more incredible, which is that he makes it so that you and I can live forever. And so, so what is that meant to be? It's meant to be like a reminder for us. Like, don't ever forget this, because if we forget it, then we become just like them who forgot God's miraculous graces within just a few days. Yeah. Right? But if we can remember this, then our natural disposition toward the Lord can be, okay, Lord, whatever suffering comes my way, I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to grumble. But instead, I'm going to trust. I'm going to remember in faith that you are good, that you see me, and that you have a plan for my life. And sure, that plan might involve some sort of suffering that, that maybe I didn't see coming. But nonetheless, I know that you're good. And so blessed be the name of the Lord is my response to suffering. Especially, especially if my suffering comes because I believe what's in this book. 
Right, and this is the thing, we know this. We can, we can look at the world and we can see how the world is going further and further and further away from the values and the truths that are found in this book. And so for us who believe what's in here and for us who believe what the Catholic Church teaches as we ought to, there are going to come times when people reject us and mock us and abandon us and maybe disaffiliate themselves with us because we actually believe what's in here and they don't. And what does St. Paul say? St. Paul says, and Jesus says this, God, Almighty God says this, bear your share of hardship for the sake of the gospel and remember that God is good, that he has a plan for your life, that he sees you and that his plan for your life is not, it's, it's too big, it's too great for this passing world because it's something that, that's meant to, lead into immortality and glory with God. And this is the case if it's, again, something that's directly connected to us that, that, we, that leads to suffering, but also, you guys, like, if we encounter just regular human suffering in this life, when, it's not if, it's when. When you encounter, like, old age, when you encounter cancer and disease, when you encounter crummy weather that's not helpful for the crops, when you encounter a football game that's scheduled during mass. Yeah. <laughs> that's right, Bill, I see you, I see you. What does that mean? It's like to not get caught up in this spirit of grumbling and complaining because that's not helpful for you. And if anything, it's gonna be harmful for you and for me. But instead, Right? If only today you could hear his voice, harden not your hearts as they did back then after they had seen God do such miraculous things. But instead, brothers and sisters, come to the Lord singing joyfully to him, acclaiming the rock of our salvation, coming into his presence with thanksgiving. Let your disposition at all times, beginning now, if it hasn't already been, to be, to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. He's so good, and I know that he sees my life, and I know that he sees every little bit or great bit of suffering that comes my way, whether it's directly connected to my following of Jesus or something that's indirect and seems inconsequential. Whatever it may be, I am gonna pause and I'm gonna give thanks to God in all circumstances, in all situations, even if it doesn't make sense for me to do so, because it's in those moments that the Lord can remind me that I, I too can be faithful. I don't have to be a part of the crew at Meribah and Massa, but instead I can be a part of the crew where that, that says uh, that the Lord talks about the rash one has no integrity, but the just one, because of his faith, because of her faith, that one shall live and that one shall live forever. <laughs>